moving on to chapter 9 of Acts. Um, I haven't prepared for this with the exception of what I talked about for chapter 8. So the last line was um, in chapter 8 was, Philip, however, appeared at, I don't know if I pronounce this correctly, but Azotus, A-Z-O-T-U-S, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, before that, I guess the sentence before that was, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And then it said that Philip appeared at Azotus, or Azotus, I'm not sure how you say it. Anyway, so I was curious because I hadn't looked it up and I had heard before um, where, you know, the Holy Spirit took him, away, took him away and that it would almost like a a teleportation or something, you know, similar to, and I don't even want to say similar to, but when um, Jesus appeared to the disciples when they were inside the locked room because they were all in, you know, lockdown um, after Jesus was crucified and they were fearful of what happened and so they were inside this locked home where they were meeting and Jesus appears. And that seems to be, I mean, if, if Jesus is the example of what we are going to be like after Jesus's return and he changes us into immortal beings the way God intended us to be, um, a little different than what we are today, then that's an example of what it will be like. But here in this story in Acts, Philip is experiencing this. So my curiosity was, well, how far away with this Azotus? Well, when I searched that on Google Maps, it shows up as Ashdod. And then I I looked and that, that's about as good as I can find. I mean, just with a quick summary of, you know, where is A-Z-O-T-U-S found in the Bible today? And so it sends me to, you know, just type it in in um, Google Maps and it'll put you in Ashdod. So I, I knew that prior to that, Philip and the eunuch were coming from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And so I wanted to see like how far was that trip and then from Gaza, like who knows where they were on that route. Um, but then somewhere along that way before the as soon as they found this water and the eunuch was baptized, he suddenly goes to, you know, what we call today Ashdod. And anyway, um, you can't on Google Maps as of today, uh, which is the 13th of January, you cannot get directions to anywhere in Gaza. It doesn't let you. Um, Obviously, we know there is a war going on there. And that is completely blocked off. You can't have directions or see how far it is from one place to another. So I did look at the Israel town of um, Sardot, S-D-E-R-O-T, and I took that um, to Ashdod, and that was about, I think, eight and a half hours and about 38 kilometers. It was the distance. So it's not somewhere where you would go suddenly. That's eight hours. So Philip appeared somewhere that is eight hours away. And that was a walking distance, not a driving distance. I think a driving, it would be like 31 minutes or so. So anyway, um, just checking with scripture and, you know, trying to understand. And, and that's where um, 
I came up with that. So um, I just wanted to understand is, is somebody else had said this was almost like a supernatural thing about Philip appearing somewhere else. And I kind of took their word for it, but I never looked at it myself to try to say, well, how far away is this? Could he just all of a sudden be there? And, you know, just to see what, what makes sense before you jump to conclusions with things in scripture. And um, eight and a half hours away is a pretty good distance to appear suddenly. So anyway, um, very interesting part of, I mean, Acts is all about supernatural things. And um, we do live in a spiritual world. And in fact, I even heard something from Tucker Carlson today where he was like saying about like his belief in the spiritual realm and how spiritual influences us. We're influenced by either good or evil spiritual forces. And he actually said that. It was recorded. And uh, that just surprised me. You know, he was in an interview with someone and he was acknowledging that. And it just seems to me like more and more people are starting to wake up to this. And, you know, similar to me, I didn't think these kinds of things until I read the Bible. And then you start seeing things and hearing things and you start seeing other people that are coming, you know, to this awareness, if you want to call it that. Anyway, uh, I'm going to get into chapter nine and I didn't prepare anything more than just looking up the distant travel distance that we just talked about. But uh, on chapter nine, I just pray that God will bring to mind things that um, he wants to, he wants us to focus on, to think about, to guide us. That's what I pray for in Jesus name. Amen. As we read this. So chapter nine, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So again, this is getting back to Saul, who was persecuting Christians, and anyone who was following the way, that's what it was called, the people who followed Jesus. So going back to scripture, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now I'm going to stop there because there's a lot of three-day prophecy things throughout the Bible. You'll go into the Old Testament, the New Testament. Here's another one. Um, you know, a lot of it'll say, you know, like after, or after two days and then on the third day, they write, he rises or he will raise us on the third day. I think it's in Hosea 6. 
Um, but there's so much about three days and about Jesus's resurrection. I mean, three days in scripture means a lot more than just part of the, the, the face value of it. In fact, um, with the story of Lazarus that we read about a few chapters ago, Jesus stayed for two more days, and then the third day he rose him up. He rose him from dead. So that's the other thing. Like Jesus died, and he was like dead for two days, and on the third day he rose. So the three days is very, you know, it's it's literal from the text, but it's also symbolic, and only. God could have something all happen like this. Like it's so clear after reading scripture that you can see how the Bible, our scripture, the scripture that makes up the Bible was definitely supernaturally brought together because it it ties together in a way that you discover over time. It's it's just incredibly amazing when you start seeing these connections. But anyway, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So I think there's probably more significance to that. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. So again, visions are also something that is in this supernatural time of the Holy Spirit really being present with the believers there's a lot of things happening. So first of all, you have Paul who falls off this, well, it's Saul is right now what his name is, but he becomes Paul. And um, when, I guess, Jesus gives him the name Paul. But he, you know, falls off this horse and gets blinded. And I don't know if he was on a horse or not, but I've seen that before. And um, it just said he fell to the ground. It didn't say he was riding a horse as we read that. He was on a, a journey and he fell to the ground. Um, who knows if he was on a horse or not. But so anyway, this is all happening. And this is just like um, the story of Peter where he was supposed to go to uh, speak with the Gentiles. And Jesus gave him this dream or this vision about unclean foods and then told Peter that, you know, nothing that the Lord has made clean is unclean. And then he gives dreams to the Gentile and dreams to Peter or visions and dreams to both of them so that they make a connection. And so this is, this is something that I'm actually hearing about happening today, that there are people who are non-believers having dreams about Jesus and, um, and there just seems to be a lot more dreams that are happening lately and people coming to faith. In fact, I can say that um, I have had dreams with Jesus's name in the dreams. Jesus was never like, I never knew anything in my dream was specifically Jesus, but his name was in my dream. Um, and those dreams started happening after I got baptized just a few years ago. So um, that was just kind of interesting. But so in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying something else to, you know, take note of. So Saul is praying 
And so it always says like, when we pray to God, he hears our prayers. When we are repentant, when we are seeking God with our heart, God hears our prayers. If we're asking God for blessings, but we're in a sinful state, God doesn't listen to us because it tells us that in the Bible. But here is Saul. I'm sure he's, he, you know, he was a faithful man. It's just that he was against Jesus. And so he's probably, you know, now he can't see. He's been led back into Damascus and he's apparently praying. So now this is, you know, there's a vision that's telling this man to go find Saul who's praying. So God is answering his prayer. Jesus is answering his prayer while this is all happening. He's, he's bringing people together. This is just really interesting how God works. So going back to scripture, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Paul's or Saul is praying and he sees a vision of a man named Ananias come and put his hands on him and restore his sight. Isn't that, you know, both of them are dreaming about one another because of God. Okay, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is praying to Jesus because it's all those who call on your name. And he apparently is concerned about going to the Saul guy because he knows his reputation. He knows that he's been persecuting Christians. He knows that he's been taking people to prison in Jerusalem. And now Jesus is telling him, go and restore this, this guy's sight. Back to scripture. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So it's kind of interesting. I underlined that line. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I, this is just my opinion. Nobody's explained this to me, but Paul had a lot of suffering. I keep calling him Paul because that's what his name was changed to. But Saul, um, but it's really interesting because there are consequences to our sin. And there, you know, could this be a consequence of Saul's persecution? First of all, there's several things because God is using someone that no one would expect someone who is actually going against and persecuting Christians, now God is going to use that same person to spread the word of Jesus and to take suffering along the way. So, and just the fact that, you know, maybe there's a lot of things, maybe it wasn't a consequence of sin that this is happening, but maybe it's because of people knowing his background knowing how he was targeting Christians and how he was going after them, and then seeing that even though he was, he then, Saul or Paul, becomes persecuted himself 
goes to prison, has all sorts of things happen to him, which we find out later. But even though all that happens to him, he still proclaims the name of Jesus. So that is also, you know, God does these things to, for the benefit of other people so that they believe, so that they know that God is real. God is true. It's not just a uh, made up sto- a myth. Some people have called it a myth. It's not a myth. It's not just some legend. God is real. And God uses supernatural things, miracles, and happenings like that so that people know he is real. And all of it has a purpose, and the purpose is to know that it's, that he's real. And Jesus even said that the will of his Father, and the will of his Father is for people to believe for people to believe, to know that this is real, to know that what Jesus came to tell everyone about is true. And it does make a difference what we believe. What we believe places us in eternity because we are going to be eternal beings despite having a a death. And actually some of us may not die if Jesus returns in our lifetime and it's Okay, Bible prophecy talks about that the people that see specific things happening in the world, that generation will not pass before Jesus is coming. A lot of those things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, I believe it was, are happening right now. And so therefore, a lot of people are believing that our generation will see Jesus's return. I know right now, I certainly believe that because of a lot of things that have happened. Um, I believe that I probably will see Jesus in my lifetime returning, uh, which is a good thing because I'm prepared for that. I'm not fearful of that. I look forward to when Jesus returns because he will restore the world to what God had intended and he will get it rid of everything that separates us from God. So, but if someone is not prepared spiritually, like as in has a relationship with Jesus, that will be a fearful time because you're actually on the enemy's side until you reconcile with Jesus, until you ask for forgiveness and ask Jesus to change your life, to bring the Holy Spirit to you so that you can change and that you can be in God's kingdom. Jesus said that unless we are born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. Born of the water and born of the spirit. Born of the water is the baptism of repentance. Born of the spirit is receiving the Holy Spirit, which is given to us by Jesus. So that's the preparation that needs to happen. And if that happens You have nothing to worry about going into the future because God protects his children. God will be there. He will be with us no matter what. Like even in suffering, we don't have to worry because God will supernaturally provide. He will do things. Um, One of the examples of that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were actually some uh, Israeli boys 
who were captured and taken to Babylon. And they were not, they were, I believe they were, I don't, I think they were supposed to worship another god or another entity, but um, and they were praying, and then the king sent, put them or sent them to a burning furnace, and um, they were going to be burned because they did not let go of their faith, and some supernatural things that happened at that point. So these boys had extreme faith in God; they believed God; they knew God was true. And before they went into the furnace, the burning furnace, they said that we know our God, he can deliver us from this. And if not, you know, we know, we know who he is. And, you know, they were not worried about it. They weren't concerned that they were thrown into the furnace. And then the people who were administering this horrible thing they were doing to these people by putting them, these three boys, putting them in a furnace, these three boys did not burn up in the furnace. And not only did or they saw the three boys that were in there, but there was a fourth person with them. And it said it looked like the son of man or an angel, something like that in scripture. And um, there is some speculation that it could have been an angel, but it could have also been Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, it could have been Jesus with them. And when they saw that these boys were walking around, they actually did let them out of the furnace and they didn't even smell like smoke. They weren't, nothing was burned on them. It was completely spectacular, supernatural, so impactful that many people believed then as a result of that. So again, God used something supernatural so that people would believe. Because God loves people. God loves all people. He just wants people who love him back to be in his kingdom. And that's what this is all about. That's why we're all here on the earth. Um, and it's, it's all about getting us to a relationship with God. That's what God wants from us. That's, that's what he wants from us, really. I mean, it's so simple. And so, you know, it's so amazing, like all of the resistance that, you know, any of us have had in our relationships or just thinking about God, that we have resisted God when all he wants to do is love us and wants us to love him back. But yet we, because we're corrupted, we're sinful human beings, you know, um, we've been, we were corrupted by sin and it was passed on, um, what I understand, like genetically, um, that we can't help that. We're born that way. Um, but God still wants to save us. And, you know, that's just like a, an extreme love for someone. Like no matter what we've done, God still loves us. And if we turn away from that and we turn to God, he welcomes us. In fact, it says, you know, that, you know, the good shepherd would leave the 99 for the one, you know, that's, it's all over the Bible, like saving one person or bringing one more person into God's kingdom is so valuable. It even says like the angels rejoice in heaven over that one person that returns to God or that, you know, turns to God. And, um, so when, when you finally understand that, when I finally understand that, it's like, well, why did it take me so long 
to get here, but each of us are on our own journey and it happens early for some and it happens later for others. And, um, but it's something that's so important and especially right now, because if our generation will see the return of Jesus, that means it's soon, sooner than most people think. And, and I don't even think it's like in a number of a generation, like I think it's like just a few short years ahead, honestly, but that's only my opinion. And, um, I'll get back to scripture. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. So this is kind of interesting. This goes in reverse order. Saul gets, well, I don't know if it, it says that he sent him. So Ananias was sent so that he could be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he got up and was baptized. So Again, born of water, born of the Spirit. So these things happened like right away for Saul because Jesus sent Ananias to make this happen. So back to scripture. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At Once he began to preach in the synagogues, synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So this was a completely, this is what happens with the Holy Spirit. Like, First of all, there has to be a willingness from the person to receive the Holy Spirit. They certainly have to be repentant, like wanting to change their life, but realize that they don't have the power to do it themselves, that they need something supernatural to change their life. And then Jesus giving it so that you can see like this person, Saul, did a 180 or a 360. I don't know what you want to call it, but he was the complete opposite of what he was before proving now he's proving that Jesus is the Messiah to people and people are just perplexed by what's going on after many days had gone by there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him but Saul learned of their plan day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them 
and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So that's really just pretty interesting about Saul's story and the huge turnaround that he had. And then the poor guy who was now changed, now he was a believer in Jesus and he was promoting Jesus. Now all the Jewish people that he had worked for that knew him, that knew how devout he was as a Jewish person that followed all the laws, now they're trying to kill him. So it's just just crazy how things that God, you know, God said he wants to use him as his instrument and he wants him to go to the Gentiles and the Jews. And so this is God's purpose. Well, God's purpose will prevail despite what God's enemies want to do. Going back to scripture, and it says, um, Aeneas and Dorcas. So as Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood around, all the widows, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So that's the end of chapter 9, and we've certainly seen some supernatural things happening. Um, you know, first of, it was with Saul and then um, Peter. And so Peter heals a lame man and then he raises a person who is dead back to life through prayer. This is all through God's 
God's doing, God's will, God's spirit. These, These people themselves did not have this power. This was the power of the Holy Spirit that was received from God. But that's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. It's not these people who were supernatural or anything special about them. They were chosen by God to be his instruments, and God worked through them. And that's what even people today, if people are willing, God will use people for his will. And it's to bring about good and to gain more people for the kingdom of God so that there will be more brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. And it's all for the good of mankind. And God has wonderful things in store for all the people who choose to follow him. But it is a choice and a decision that each person gets to make on their own and no one is forced into doing it. It's just that there's lots of rewards and good things for those who choose that path. And the Holy Spirit helps people who want to do that, but don't have the strength and the power on their own to actually make that happen. But it's a great thing to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and it'll be even greater in the future after he returns. Something to think about.